is a Woodside Church podcast. Okay, so we have been going through the book of 1 Samuel, and today we are nearly at the end of that series. Next week, I believe Tim is coming to speak, and he'll be speaking on Saul and the Witch of Endor. So um, that's a great one to come and listen to. One of those passages where you might be like, oh, what does this mean? Well, we've got Tim sharing with us next week, so thank you, Tim. Um, But today, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel, chapter 5, and this is kind of a culmination of what's been happening in 1 Samuel when it was Saul was king, and David was kind of, you know, knew something was going to happen, but nothing was happening yet. And now we get to 2 Samuel 5, and um, the title in this ESV Bible says, David anointed king of Israel. And what we're going to be looking at today is a king anointed and a kingdom established. So we're going to be looking at King David, he was anointed, and his kingdom was established. So what I'd like to do is to tell the story of 2 Samuel 5 and what's happening in this passage. And what I'm going to do, part of it is I'm going to tell the story, part of it I'm going to read it, and other bits I might just kind of stop and comment on it, and then we'll move on from there. So, 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we've got some images that will come up as I'm telling the story, which will hopefully help you as I'm telling the story. So what has happened is all the tribes of Israel have come to David at Hebron and said, look, we're your flesh and blood. We are your relatives. In the past, when Saul was king, it was you who led us in our military campaigns. And the Lord spoke to you and anointed you and said that you would be ruler over the people and you would be my shep- and shepherd my people. So what happened is when all the elders of Israel came to David at Hebron, Before the Lord, David made a covenant with the elders, and um, and they anointed David as king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. So in Hebron, so that's in Judah, in the lower parts of Israel, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months, and then he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. So he was king for the southern tribe first, and then what we're going to read is him being anointed king for the whole of Israel. So what happened is after David's been anointed as king, he and his men marched to Jerusalem, um, which is where the Jebusites are living. And I think perhaps politically or for other reasons, rather than if you imagine the whole of Israel and Judah being at, at the south and Hebron being there, now that David's king, he wants his base to be more central. And um, so they, they go up to Jerusalem, the Jebusites are living there, And the Jebusites say, you will never get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off because they thought David won't be able to get in here. And then it says, nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. And I think this is the first time Jerusalem is referred to as Zion and the city of David. So I just found that quite helpful. And on that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft. So if you're into kind of, you know, strategies, then here's a strategy that David decided to use to get into this stronghold that had to use the water shaft. David then took up residence, so they, they conquered and um, beat the Jebusites, took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward, and he became, it says here, he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Amen. I'll read that again. And he became more and more powerful because the Lord God was with him. Yeah. 
And then what happens is Hiram, king of Tyre, so he's a king from another region, sends messengers and carpenters and masons to David, along with cedar logs and other materials, I think, um, along with cedar logs and carpenters and stone masons, and they built a palace for David. Then, and it says here, then David knew that the Lord has, had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So God, David knows God with him. Um, and then after that, after he left Hebron, David um, talks about his, his family and wives and children. And then it goes on to say, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. Now, I think most of you probably know the backstory with the Philistines. Philistines, Israelites, enemies, and um, they've coming up in full force to search for David. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. And what does he do? He inquires of the Lord. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, go for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went and he defeated them. And then it says in verse 22, once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. What does David do? Inquires of the Lord. And this time the Lord answers, do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. That's very specific, isn't it? As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Giza. Okay, so that is 2 Samuel chapter 5. What we've got here is the story of David becoming king, and then his kingdom being established. So we're going to look at two things, anointed and the kingdom established. Now, what does anointed mean? It means like set apart for holiness. Chosen by God, set apart for holiness. And actually, in the Old Testament, both people and objects were anointed. So the the items for the tabernacle were anointed, and David was anointed. And it was a special oil used solely for that purpose. Okay, so David was a chosen and anointed by God. And we see this earlier on in the story, when the prophet Samuel is told by God to go to the family of Jesse. And he goes there and says, and God tells Samuel that he'll tell him who to anoint as king. Jesse brings his sons out. Nope, not this one. Nope, not this one. Nope. All the way down. And Samuel's like, are you sure everyone's here? And Jesse's like, oh, well, you know, there is the youngest one out in the, she- in the fields looking after the sheep. Samuel said, bring him in. We won't eat until he's come. And Samuel anoints David as a king. So even though he was overlooked by his family, God knew his purpose for David. Okay, and the same applies to you. If you feel overlooked by your family, that doesn't mean God has overlooked you. Okay, so after many years of waiting, so David was a young boy in the fields looking after the sheep. After many years of waiting and being anointed by Samuel, God's prophet, he's finally become king. And that's hard, isn't it? A season of waiting is hard. I mean, nowadays we find it hard waiting an hour, waiting a day, waiting a week. What about waiting years? What about waiting 10 years, 20 years? Okay, so it's also really interesting to see how David respected the Lord's anointed. 
So even though David knew that one day he was going to be king, Saul was king, and David respected that anointing. Even when David had the chance to take Saul's life, David didn't do that. He respected the Lord's anointed. The people loved David. 1 Samuel chapter 18 says, verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Yeah? The men of Judah anointed David as their king and actually um, found it really interesting reading a few chapters before, um, in chapter three, I think, when it talks about Saul's son who was king briefly um, over Israel. And that's... a f- quite an interesting story, but I won't share that now. If you're interested, that's 2 Samuel chapter 3. Um, so the Israelites had only two kings before David, Saul and Ishbosheth. bit of a mouthful, but that's Saul's son. David was chosen by God and anointed, and God was with David, as we read. And there comes a point when David knows that the Lord has established him as king and exalted his kingdom, and that comes after Hiram, um, yeah, King Hiram of, of Tyre comes and builds David the palace, and this kind of David knows that the Lord has established him. Okay, so we're going to look at David's kingdom established. Verse 10 said, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. That's what I read earlier, and it goes on to say, then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And we've got a map, it's going to come up on the screen, and hopefully you'll be able to see it, but the kind of, the grey area in the middle is the size of the kingdom before David became king. And then the green area is David's kingdom at the end of his reign. So you can see his kingdom is not only established, but it's been growing, yeah? And it says, doesn't it, that the people, Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. He was extending God's kingdom. He was extending the kingdom of the Israelites, God's people. And um, his authority and reign was over an ever-increasing area. And David points us to Jesus. Jesus is also chosen and anointed. His kingdom has been established and is growing. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at Jesus being anointed and Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom. Okay, so in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 20, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And we were singing about that this morning, weren't we? God bringing freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. We had that testimony. Thank you, Somnita. God setting Somnita free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what Jesus is saying, you've been looking forward to the Messiah. You've been looking forward to this person that Isaiah has prophesied about. I'm that person. That's what Jesus is saying. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is bringing God's kingdom. He's saying, I'm, the kingdom is near. 
The Spirit of the Lord anointed Jesus to do these things. We see in Acts 10 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with a Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And you know what? We too have been anointed. How crazy is that? We too have been anointed, set apart for God. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has given us this, his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I'll read that again, it's from 2 Corinthians. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Mind blown. Okay, Jesus' kingdom established. David knew that the Lord had established him as king and exalted his kingdom. And then when David died, his son Solomon became king. But unlike David, Jesus, although he was killed on a cross, he rose again. He has beaten death and his kingdom will reign forever. Okay, there is no end to his kingdom, amen. And we can even see in the words that Gabriel spoke to Mary before Jesus was born, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus' kingdom will never end. It is established and it is advancing. Hallelujah. And you know what? We get the privilege, having been anointed by the Holy Spirit, to bring God's kingdom into the situations that we have. Yesterday, I went round to my neighbours to ask if I could borrow a green bin. She's about 80 or 90. And I arrive there to find her daughter telling me that my neighbour's son had passed away. And my neighbor had literally only found out that day, yesterday, when I went round. And I had the opportunity to pray for her. She goes to church, but I had the opportunity to pray and say, God, will you bring your comfort? You know, we've been given the Holy Spirit. When we go and we speak to people, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. We get to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We get the opportunity to work and to help. And um, God chooses to use us, which is incredible. And what is the kingdom? I'm using the word kingdom a lot. It's God's rule and reign. Yeah? Yeah? It's the way God things want it's the way God wants things done. It's his rule and his reign. And Jesus' kingdom is both here and not yet. Okay? But going back to what a kingdom means, a rule and reign, a kingdom is where the rule and reign of a king is present. And historically, you know, from history lessons or reading different things. If there's a good leader, a good king, then the people benefit, don't they? The people can know freedom. If there's a bad king or a bad leader, someone who's selfish or bad in other ways, then actually the people suffer. Oppression, affliction, yeah? So the king influences the kingdom. Okay, so Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 13, there are lots of examples of what Jesus says the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like a grain of mustard. Incy, wincy, teeny little seed, yeah? One of the smallest seeds, when planted in the ground, it grows and becomes a tree and provides place for the birds to come and make their nests. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in flour until it was all leavened. 
See, these things take time, don't they? Yeah, tree takes a long time, leaven takes time. It's like treasure hidden in a field that someone finds, hides, goes, sells all that he has, and then comes back to buy the field and the treasure. It's like a merchant. The kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he finds that one pearl of great value, he goes and he sells everything else so that he can buy that one pearl. It's like a net thrown into the sea. It's like a master who went out early to hire laborers. Matthew 13 is a good place to look if you're wanting to read these things about what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, the Jews were waiting for a Messiah, someone like David, to save them from their enemies. And it had been prophesied, and they were waiting for this Savior. Jesus came and explained what the kingdom of God, heaven, is like. It was not what they were expecting. When Jesus was talking to Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus, God's kingdom is one of righteousness, peace, and joy. And he has done everything and already won the battle. Hallelujah. On the, Christ, Jesus, on the cross, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin and shame. He has conquered, he has won, he is alive, and his kingdom is here and is now, and it's also yet to come. And do you know that we too have been chosen and anointed and have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son? I mean, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? So we were here, kingdom of darkness, not a good place to be, transferred, moved, into the kingdom of God's son. No longer there, not there and here, we're here in the kingdom of God's son. Okay, God has anointed us and given us his Holy Spirit into our hearts as a guarantee. I love that verse, being given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So it, does, it means it's not all fully yet here, but a guarantee like a deposit, you know, a down payment. It's, you're getting it, it's just maybe just not completely yet. And we can go out and bring God's kingdom, rule and reign, into our everyday situations. With the conversations we have, sharing the gospel, praying for people, bringing God's kingdom in. And in these situations, we're loving people and reflecting our king. And the more we know our king, the more we can show our king. Yeah? The more we know our king, the more we can show our king. We are God's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Isn't that amazing? God's choosing to use us. He's making his appeal through us. We are his ambassadors. Okay, so what's the application for us? Firstly, pray. Pray for God's kingdom to come. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. That's how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Let your kingdom come. And in that bit, when I'm praying, I often use the Lord's Prayer as a framework for praying, so I find it really helpful, focusing first on God, and then also asking, you know, God's kingdom come before I get to my needs. I'm praying, God, please, will you heal the sick? Please, will you bind up the brokenhearted? Yeah, and I need, I'm, I've been challenged, convicted. I need to pray more for salvation. I've been concentrating more on healing, but salvation, you know, God's kingdom comes through salvation. Secondly, application for us, seek his kingdom first. So firstly, pray for God's kingdom to come. Secondly, seek his kingdom first. Jesus said, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And that's a great reminder, isn't it? Because what can happen is we can be distracted about the things of this world. If we're not seeking first God's kingdom, we can be distracted. And we know if we're distracted, our attention is divided, isn't it? I can't concentrate fully on two things. Our thoughts are not to be preoccupied with the cares of this world. Our home is in heaven. And when we're distracted with the things of this world, we're less concentrated on the things of God's kingdom. Praying is an excellent way to get this priority right. And the word seek, so seek first the kingdom of God. The word seek is a very active word, isn't it? We're seeking. We're not just kind of standing. We're seeking. We're looking. It's like, you know, where is it? Where is the kingdom of God? It's not sit and watch, let it, you know, pass a by. It's go eagerly looking for it. And actually, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, it says there was a man called Joseph of Arimathea. And he was the person who went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. But the way they describe Joseph, it says, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a man looking for God's kingdom. Let's be those who are looking for God's kingdom. Okay, so that's all I want to say. So just to summarize, in terms of application for us, let's pray for God's kingdom to come. Let's seek his kingdom first. We're praying for God's kingdom, his rule and reign to come. Let's seek God's kingdom. Let's seek his rule and reign in our lives, in the lives of those around us. And let's prioritize God's kingdom, his rule and reign in our lives, in the lives of those around us. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.